Inlingua podcast live from Dessau is broadcast from Middle Deutschland and features all things languages. The show is hosted by our teachers, presenting students and guests from all walks of language learning experiences. For our next episode of Enlingua Podcast Live from Dessau, we welcome Joe. Joe is a colleague who works for Enlingua Munich, one of the largest language schools in the Enlingua network. We hope you enjoy the episode. So I know a little bit about you because you sent just a short biography. Yeah. So when I read that biography, the, my first inclination of thinking was, okay, why on earth would this guy major in German studies at a university? <laughs> But then I started thinking, you know, let's like, uh, let's, you know, go to this particular point in time. And now I'm thinking how fortunate for him that he did. Does that kind of make sense? I know it totally makes sense. Yes. No, that makes sense. And um, uh, to be honest with you, I kind of came to the German studies uh, major in a very roundabout way. I started at the University of Arizona actually majoring engineering. Okay. I did I did aerospace engineering and I did that for about 3 years until I, I you know I came to the conclusion just the realization actually that I was terrible at the mathematics involved. <laughs> 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 definitely not I definitely do not have a mathematical mind that's not a strength of mine okay. and uh, you know obviously in engineering there's a lot of that required um, up to a certain point, I was doing okay, but then after a while, I realized that this was not going to be a major for me. Mm-hmm. And um, the the reason the German studies thing came about was because when that when that kind of fell through, what I had wanted to do was major in business administration and they get minor in 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 a foreign language. Okay. And I kind of settled on German because um, Tucson, Arizona is pretty close to the to the Mexican border. Uh, Arizona or Tucson's only about, uh, God, I don't know the numbers, but we're talking about a 45 minute to 60 minute drive uh, to Mexico. So okay. a lot of Spanish, you know, in my area growing up, uh, my parents and grandparents, they all spoke Spanish fluently. So it didn't seem exotic to me, you know, it was something that was just kind of around day to day, didn't feel like I wanted to do that. Okay. But I did want, to, I did want to, to take a language that I felt was just kind of useful in, 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 that, in the economy, you know, something that was going to be a good business language. Mm-hmm. And I took German. And the reason, the reason that kind of flipped and it went from being a minor to a major, it's, it's largely due to the first German teacher that I ever had. Her name was Kirsten Meyer. She walked into my German 101 class just kind of frankly blew my socks off. She was a really great teacher, made the, the subject matter seem really interesting. And um, I don't know, I, it just kind of, it just went from there. And I decided, okay, this will be my major and then I'll minor in business studies. But that's, that's actually how that came to be. Okay. Um, yeah. So like you said, though, I mean, I am fortunate this many years on down the line. I consider myself fortunate that, that things took that turn because obviously it's opened up this this life for me, you know, to enable me to come here um, and, and do what I'm doing now. So, okay. So was your study abroad experience part of the undergraduate experience or no? Yes, 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 it was. Um, I applied for a scholarship at the University of Arizona. There's a, an Oscar Gruno scholarship and um, X number of undergraduates in the German studies program get to apply for it. And I was, I was lucky enough to win that scholarship. And what that scholarship did was it paid for me to do two semesters uh, here at Munich, uh, the University of Munich, Ludwig Maximilians. What was your level of proficiency when you left Arizona to go to Munich? Was it according to the European standard? What would, what would be your score? Wow. If I had to guess at that point, I would either see a really solid B1 mm-hmm. or perhaps sneaking into the B2 level. My, I was always... Um, I did okay in my German classes. I mean, obviously, I, I don't think I would have won the scholarship if that wasn't the case, but mm-hmm. um, I, I did all right. I was able to understand German. Uh, it just made sense to me from uh, you know, hearing somebody speak it. it. It was never a problem for me to understand it. And speaking, I, I definitely don't want to say it came easy to me. I, I don't want to give that impression at all, but I was able to make myself understood. We'll say okay. that. So um, I had a pretty solid level when I came here. Um, so what, yeah, sorry. yeah, what kind of classes are you taking when you arrive at Munich? 
Well, <laughs> that, um, God, to be, to be totally frank with you, that was such a long time ago that I don't actually remember the coursework that I did. But what the university told me, what my home university in Arizona told me was they said, okay, listen, you go, you take a look at the course offering in Munich, um, take the courses that you're interested in. And essentially what we'll do is we'll try and find that equivalent course um, at, our, at your home university here, mm -hmm. in, here in Arizona. So um, the, the, the entire palette was wide open to me. I was able to go and take any course that I wanted to, any course that I was interested in. So I think that's, I think that's what I did. I just said, okay, this looks interesting. This caught my attention. Um, let's do it. And then when I got back home, I met with an advisor and they said, okay, that's kind of the equivalent of this course. And they gave me credit uh, where they could. There were a couple of that apparently didn't fit um, for the university. Uh, and I didn't get credit for those, but for the okay. most part, that's, that's what they did. Yeah. So were all of the courses that you took, were they in German? Yes, they were. Okay. Yes, they were. Okay. And that was a little, that was a little bit overwhelming. My, like I said, my, my German was pretty good, but then when you get thrown into the deep end of the pool like that, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a rude awakening. So it took a little while to get adjusted, but, uh, okay. but yeah, all my classes were in German. So how is that coming from Tucson? Tucson, yes. To Munich. I mean, like, were you living in a, in a student <laughs> dormitory? I mean, you're, obviously you're in like one of the major cities of the world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, had you, you had not been to Germany but prior to that, right? I hadn't really left the United States. I mean, okay. I'd been to Mexico. Uh -huh. uh, as, as I mentioned, Mexico is just a hop, skip and a jump away from us in Tucson. So I'd been down to Nogales, I'd been down to Rocky Point, and I think I'd even at that point been down to Tijuana. But um, outside of that, I don't really, because it's so close, because it's so present, I didn't really consider that to be foreign travel. I hadn't really left the United States. I hadn't left okay. the United States yet, except for those trips to Mexico. So that was my first foreign experience. They put me into a student dorm. Mm -hmm. uh, if anybody's familiar with Munich, there's the Studentenstadt up in the north uh, part of the city. And that's where they that's where they put me. I had a, a you know a little dorm room there. Uh, it was my own dorm room, thankfully. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I kind of like that. I, I didn't have to share it with anybody. Um, yeah, but that's that's what it was. They put me in a in a student dorm. So okay, that was my introduction to to living in Munich. <laughs> and are you taking public transport every day to the to the campus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the scholarship it wasn't basically it provided a stipendium as well so mm -hmm. the scholarship was for me to come do the two semesters at the university and then it gave me um, some basically the pocket money to pay for the rent on the the dorm room and also you know a little bit of living money so with okay. that came the option to buy uh, a ticket on the public transport so that's what i was doing so are you still friends with some of your students that you met on that trip or on that experience i should say <laughs> Well, uh, friends, how can I, um, you kind of lose touch this let's, let's be fair. This was a while ago. Actually, uh, uh my, this, we're coming up on 20 years now. Uh, my, right. my study abroad started in, uh, 2001, September of 2001. Funny okay. story. It was actually less than a week after the September 11th attacks. That was, uh, September 17th, I think of 2001. Okay. So, so you left right after that. Yeah, I was actually that, that is still probably as far as I can remember the most like the most crowded airplane experience I can ever remember because a lot of travelers were stranded, obviously, after the attacks. And uh, they were just jamming people into every nook and cranny in the planes when they were, <laughs> when they were going overseas. In fact, I thought my flight would be canceled, but uh, thankfully it wasn't because I, I had booked that uh, previous, but they didn't cancel my booking. Okay. But it was pretty jam-packed. So like I said, but, but the point of saying that was that this was, this was a while ago, this is 20 years ago. So yeah. you kind of lose touch. I would definitely say that I'm friendly with those people. We may, you know, they're friends on Facebook, but do I, do I see them or interact with them? Mm, sadly, no, not really. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what about living? Okay, so at that time, how old are you when you're in Munich? Are you 21 or 2021? 20, yeah, something, something in that range. Yeah, about 21, I believe, because okay. like I said, I'd, I'd, you know, in the US, we start, I, I was young, actually, I started college when I was 17 years old. Okay. I always started school early because I have an, an August birthday. Um, but I, uh, as I mentioned, I started off in a different degree program, and I did that for three years. So then I, I you can imagine there's not a lot of engineering credits that transfer over to the German <laughs> studies department. So I was basically, <laughs> I was basically starting over from zero. Um, but by the time I came over, yeah, I think I would have been actually right about 21. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what was that? I mean, obviously, like first time abroad, first time living alone, first time, not living alone, but first time international experience, right? Living alone. Uh, mm -hmm. Aside from like the educational part of it, 
how meaningful was this experience? Like what impact, what, what long lasting impact did you learn from this? Well, it was, well, to, to be totally fair, it actually was my first time living alone because um, the University of Arizona is in Tucson and I was born in Tucson. So rather than, you know, paying the, paying the money for, for room and board at the university, I just stayed and lived at home. Perfect. Um, so it actually was my first time living alone. And it was, that was great. That was, that was a pretty meaningful experience for me. I kind of, um, I, how can I say this? I, I consider myself to be a pretty independent person. I like to be alone. Uh, I like to figure things out on my, on, on, on my own. Mm-hmm. So, so doing that in that type of environment where you're, you know, that's about as alone as you can get. So not only is it, is it living on your own for the first time, but it's living on your own for the first time and you're in another country, you know, mom, it's not a phone call away. There's nobody to do, you know, whatever, to cook you a meal or to do your laundry or anything like that. And it was really, it was really great. It was really liberating. Yeah. I mean, you're having to negotiate and you're having to, well, you're having to to negotiate in a different language and navigate in a Mm -hmm. unfamiliar surroundings. Right. So like, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, confidence building, for sure. It's motivational. I think the fact that you can like not only survive, but you, you can like succeed right in a foreign country. I, I think mm-hmm. that gives a lot of confidence to like your, I don't know what. No, I think you're, uh, no, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. Because again, like I said, there's not much, there's not much of a safety net. And don't get me wrong. I don't think, you know, if something had gone wrong that I just would have been, you know, alone in an emergency situation. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you know, in your day-to-day life, uh, there is no safety net. And when you when you do that, you realize that you can do that. Um, yeah, it is it is really confidence building, to be totally honest with you. It was great. Like I said, it's very liberating. Okay. Did you like the food when you came over? I love the food. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, how can I say this without offending anybody? I'm a carnivore. I love meat. And basically, German cuisine is not particularly fancy it's a very meat and potatoes based type of cuisine uh mm-hmm. and i like the basics you know um it was great it, 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 i was happy with the food from the start <laughs> nice that's really nice were you able to do a little traveling around germany during that first experience like as a student on the weekends were you able to meet friends and get out and kind of see around munich yeah that was that was great so munich of course you know when you're in a new city you take the opportunity to explore um, whatever's in your city, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you're, whatever's there to see. So I did a lot of that within Munich. Um, but the other really neat thing was I don't, now this is one thing that's a little bit of a mystery. I don't know exactly how this worked out, but that scholarship from the University of Arizona kind of placed me in league with another group that was based here in Germany, something like uh, the German American Men's Club or the German American Friendship Club or something like this. And then the mm-hmm. way that that was organized was basically there were other students from other universities. I think the University of Arizona sent two students, me and another fellow. And um, other universities sent other students as part of this same, I don't know what it is, same organization or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they had the German students that would be traveling to do their year abroad in the United States the following year. Okay. And what they did was they, they arranged five separate meetings in different cities in Germany uh, throughout the course of those two semesters where we were able to travel uh, and just kind of connect with everybody else that was in that same program. Okay, so yeah, cool. we, went, we went to Dusseldorf, we went to Dresden, we went to Berlin, um, and there's a couple of others that I'm forgetting. I think Karlsruhe was one of them or Tübingen mm-hmm. maybe. Um, but yeah, we got, I got to travel through the program that was paid for by them. That was wonderful. Excellent. And then in between, yeah, in between semesters, I took the chance to, to, to travel around uh, Europe as far as I was able, got myself one of those uh, Euro rail or Euro pass. Uh, yeah. Euro tickets. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. And I did that. I went to, you know, Paris, London, uh, Prague and a couple of other places. So yeah, I really did. I, I really tried to take advantage of the opportunity to travel. Dude, it sounds like you took, you took, advantage of almost every opportunity as a student that's excellent (laughs) definitely wanted to yeah i wanted to make the best of it at that time you know i never knew i never knew that i was going to come back or if Mm -hmm. i was going to come back when i was going to come back what that's what that was going to be so okay so that's another another good question like okay your two semesters are over you know your departure date is coming up do you want to stay are you sad i mean you have to go home and graduate i know but is do you have a sense right there that you there's a possibility one day I may come back here. 
I definitely felt that there was a possibility that I was going to come back. Um, I wasn't sad. You know, I was excited. I didn't, um, uh, I didn't get to visit home that year. So I was gone mm-hmm. for the entire year. So I was really looking forward to coming back, uh, seeing my friends and family and whatnot. Uh, so I wouldn't say that I was, I was exactly sad. I was sad that the adventure was ending, mm-hmm. but happy to be going back home. But I did kind of feel it's okay. I can do this. Uh, something that was interesting to me. Definitely, there's a possibility that I'll be going back at some point. Okay, so I mean, again, this is yeah, 20 years ago, but like, okay, one year abroad, all these new ideas, all this this new way of life, go back home to the states. How long before that wears off? Well, the one thing, the one thing that I'll say about that, uh, the funny thing was, I never felt that I experienced any sort of culture shock coming to Germany. It's uh, you know, both. I guess Western societies both come from at least somewhat of a similar tradition. The culture shock to me was actually going back home to the US. And I don't mean that in any sort of negative way, but there are just certain things, you know, you get used to the way things are done in Germany and all the things that, that, that you experienced in the United States, just you took for granted because that's where you came from. That's the, that's the environment you grew up in. And then when I came back, uh, I was like, okay, wow, there, there are some differences, you know, there's a lot of differences. It's, but again, like I said, neither it's, it's I'm not saying that with any sort of judgment, you know, that one was better than the other, I think, but just saying, okay, I'm a little bit more attuned to these differences now. Sorry. Can you, can you tell us like, like one or two of those differences? If you remember, I'll tell you one thing that I remember, and this is uh, this probably small potatoes thing in the grand scheme of things. But the one thing that I noticed going back to the United States, is how absolutely ubiquitous the American flag is. And again, I have no Again, I'm not saying this with judgment. I have no problem with that. I, I, I don't find that negative per se, but coming from Germany where, you know, uh, people are a little bit more shy, you know, <laughs> about, you know, just grabbing a German flag and, and, and waving it around. It's definitely not the case in the States. Now it's just like, okay, there's an American flag on the car dealership. There's an American flag in front of convenience store. It's just kind of everywhere. And it's just like, okay, um, we definitely have different attitudes on how we express you know love of country or mm. whatever um that was one of the things that i noticed right away yeah the patriotism patriotism nationalism i don't know how you want to call it but that definitely was one of the things that stood out yeah um i'm giving you leading questions based on my own experience so that's why i'm asking like ah. how long before you got home before like people were less interested in hearing your stories and they sort of gravitated towards like okay we're back in our safe environment and let's let's continue our our way of thought processes you know what yeah, I mean? You know, yeah, for me, that happened um, That happened pretty quickly. <laughs> that happened pretty quickly. Uh, exactly. You know, like uh, an object of like, you know, fascination. When I first came back, people were like, okay, wow, how was that? What was the experience like? You know, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, well, I think about it like this. You know, anytime you go on vacation, you, this is probably a silly uh, a comparison, but, but it, it's the first thing that comes to mind. You go on vacation, your first day back in the office, everybody's asking, how was your vacation? And uh, people do that. You get tired of answering the question. You have to answer it about 100 times. Uh, and then people feel like they've done their duty. They asked you about that. And then right away, it's back to the normal routine. And I kind of found that that was the same returning from my study abroad year. Uh, maybe the questions were a little bit more... <clears throat> I don't know, I guess made a little bit more in depth because that is something of a different experience. You spent a year abroad in another country. But then, you know, once it, once once that fascination wears off, you're just you're just Joe again, you're just with your yeah. friends and everything goes back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you go back home, you graduate within a year, I'm assuming, like you know, mm, you got your like, yeah, basically about a year. I think yeah. uh, my, I graduated with my bachelor's in 2003. I returned in 2002. So yeah, year. Okay, so what happens? Okay, you, you get your diploma, you got your German studies diploma, and what happens next? Well, nothing dramatic. <laughs> nothing <laughs> dramatic at all. <laughs> I was working um, actually before and after my trip to Germany. I worked for a fundraising consulting company part-time. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I got my degree, I just kind of stepped into a, a full-time role at the company. So I was doing what I was already doing, just doing it full time. And I, I, I took the job with them and stayed there until, until my return to Germany. Okay. So, mm-hmm. But that, that job, did it have anything to do with Germany or German language? Nothing whatsoever. Okay. Not even a little bit. <laughs> so then the World Cup brings you back. World Cup brings me back. So I mentioned like, like 
I loved working for that company, um, but it was a small company, as I mentioned, and I had kind of realized that there was, wasn't really, hmm, there was nowhere else for me to go. One of the, at the point that I was there, I had to, you know, there was somebody that was in the publications department who was a manager and there was somebody in the other departments that were manager. But the only person that really, really, really was superior to me or the only people that were superior to me were the guys that owned the company. And I knew okay. I wasn't ever going to get their job. So I said, okay, this would be a good time to just kind of branch out, see what mm -hmm. else is out there. And the World Cup provided, uh, that was in 2006. The World Cup, to me, kind of provided that opportunity. I said, okay, um, I'll leave my job here and spend basically a month in Germany uh, watching soccer. And um, we'll see what happens from there. So that's, that's how that came about. So as an undergraduate, okay, just for our listeners who might be interested, what are your, okay, so what are the choices coming out with German studies? It, either you're going to go into teaching, right? Or doing something with German in another related field. I don't know what that would be. I'm limited in. Well, uh, to be honest with you, I think my, my planning in that regard was, was quite poor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't have, I didn't have much of a plan. To be honest, I think oh. what I wanted to do was, um, and that's why I said uh, things kind of got flipped when I, when I left the engineering school. Um, I had originally wanted to do business as a major and then do you know, foreign languages as, right. as a minor. So what I kind of thought once I got the degree and once that I left the, once I left the company that I had been working for was, okay, maybe what I'll do is I'll get the chance to work in a, in a company, you know, work in business, mm -hmm. something within some sort of international field. I was going to say, I, the one thing is, you know, you were mentioning, I think it's, I think it's a place that a lot of people think to go after they get a, a degree like that is to go into teaching. To be honest, that was, I, mean, I had not considered that either. It's just kind of an, uh, the way things worked out that ended up that way. Okay. So World Cup brings you back to Germany because you're a football fan. Yeah. I'm a, you know, it's kind of, you know, I think it's becoming more and more common nowadays, but um, yeah, mm -hmm. I was always a soccer fan. Um, really enjoyed the sport and was really, really getting into it. I'd gotten my first, you know, when you follow the national team, uh, and you go see them in person for the first time. It's like, you know, like you're stepping on the field. You call it your first cap. Yeah. I had that. Uh, um, God, I don't remember when that was, but it was a, it was a qualifier. Uh, when, you, Lake City. when you were here for a year, did you go to the, the Bayern games? I did. I did, in fact. Uh, I still cool. remember that. The very first game that I went to for FC okay. Bayern Munich, they were playing at Olympia Stadion and they played against Hansa Rostock. I still remember that. Fantastic. Okay, so you that come back. You, I mean, say, that tells you how long ago it was because there was still an East German team in the Bundesliga back then. Really? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess Leipzig is back now. But yeah, Rostock. Was Germany hosting the World Cup in 2006? Germany was hosting the World Cup. Um, U.S. had qualified. We had games. Uh, well, the United States had games in Nuremberg, uh, Kaiserslautern, and Gelsenkirchen. Okay. And I was lucky enough, I was fortunate enough, part of the reason I came back to the World Cup, it wasn't just to kind of be here and soak up the atmosphere. I actually had tickets with a, with a buddy of mine and uh -huh. my brother ended up coming as well. Um, we had tickets to the US games, all the group stage games. So how, we, we came. So how many games is that? Three, three round robin, okay. uh, three round robin games. We actually had the option if the US advanced uh, into the knockout rounds for the next two games as well. But uh, the United States kind of laid an egg that year. So <laughs> <laughs> do you stay? I'm looking at the questions that I sent to you. Do you stay then or do you go back home after the World Cup? Well, the plan was to come, go to the United States games mm -hmm. and um, look for something. Just okay. try my, just try my luck. Uh, so for the rest of the tournament, <clears throat> you know, after the U S got knocked out, right. I was just catching, watching all the games uh, on television, just like everybody else, huh? but sending out applications here and there, different companies to see uh, if I could land anything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I had a return flight booked. And I want to say it was something like a, a month or maybe a month and a half after I had first arrived. And I was, uh, like I said, just going to test, test the waters, see what would happen. And if I came up with anything, consider staying. And if I didn't, just go back home as planned. And I got lucky. I got hired by Enlingua. Okay. A bit of serendipity involved in that, actually. Um, 
I don't know how interested anybody would be in hearing this, but actually my interview with Enlingua with uh, Dr. Martin Ecker at the time was the director of studies at Enlingua Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, was actually on the day of my return flight. And I had a big choice to make, you know, I said, okay, do I, do I get on that plane and just kind of uh, forget about this? Or do I take the chance of going to the interview and not getting hired? Now I'm kind of stuck. Uh, but I decided ultimately to do, go to the interview and um, got the job. So I stayed. <laughs> did, did your brother stay back too with you just to make sure? No, 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 no. Uh, him and that, uh, him and my buddy, Brian, they, they, they both went home. They flew back. Yeah. You stayed with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you had the interview, you got the job, and you, what happens? Do you start looking for an apartment? Or do you Ooh, go back home a- anyway and come back? What, what happens? No, 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 no. I stayed. Um, at that point, I was actually, I had, a, I had myself a German girlfriend. So um, that's, that's where I was staying at the point. We had met, that's a, my God, that's a completely different story. We had met, I think, in 2004. She was on vacation in Las Vegas, and I was on vacation in Las Vegas. You okay. Never guess, but we met at the Hofboy House in Las Vegas. <laughs> 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 so we, we, we stayed in contact stayed in contact so that when i went to germany i had uh, an automatic place to stay yeah and and basically um i didn't want to impose upon her she was living at the time with her sister in an apartment mm-hmm. and i didn't want to impose upon them so i thought i considered you know maybe uh getting a place of my own but uh, the sister in the end ended up moving out she i think she moved in with a friend or she went somewhere else and so uh, Basically, it kind of worked out because I was able to take up half of the rent. So I basically had a, had a place to stay right from the beginning. Okay. So were you teaching English or were you teaching German or both? No, teaching English. Teaching okay. English. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that experience? Like, um, I mean, obviously you have a, a talent with languages, but you hadn't had any pedagogical courses, right? None at all. No. So how was like, walk us through like the first, do you remember the first class you had? I do. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned that. I hadn't thought about this in so long, but the first, the very first class that I got from Enlingua after doing my method training was a class with, I think there were something like five or six kids. In, and I, when I say kids, I mean kids, we're talking about <laughs> less than 10 years old. Uh, and I felt, I, I said to myself, you know, if I could teach this class, this is uh-huh. the very first time I'm stepping into a classroom, kids that don't speak the language and they're, you know, probably got short attention spans. If I survive this class, I've got this in the bag. I could do, I could do anything else they throw at me. I felt so. <laughs> so yeah, that's how, that's how that started. That's how that started. That was my first class. So, okay, so you work for a year, right, at Enlingua. You're gaining more experience teaching, like you're becoming more comfortable in the classroom with 10-year-olds. <laughs> it's a good start, you know, like, because that'll yeah. really... <laughs> well, the funny thing is, yeah, like I said, thankfully, that was one of the only times that I can recall that I ever had to teach kids yes. that young. <laughs> uh-huh, absolutely. But um, as, you know, the World Cup had just ended, and these are mm-hmm. kids, you know, I kind of... I, I, kind of leaned pretty heavily on on uh, on soccer to, to, to kind of to bring things you know to make things interesting for them. nice uh, so that's what i did i'm not much of a singer so i don't think anybody <laughs> wants to hear that <laughs> uh, but like i said yeah i can i brought sports into it and that's how i kind of tried to keep it okay you know, so then why did you yeah so why did you go back home then after the year well, I went back home. Um, that was that was kind of a family decision. I had a, a my grandmother wasn't uh, wasn't doing too well up until that point. So she started to her health started to kind of decline while I was in Germany, and um, I definitely wanted to go back and kind of spend some time with her while she still had some some you know while she still had that time left. So yeah. I did. I, I went back home, made the decision to do that, and yeah ended up being temporary again. <laughs> okay. And then you came back. Then I came back. Then I came And you've back. been back ever since, right? Yes. I, I, uh, so I went, let's, let's do this. Let's do the timeline. So in 2007, right. I returned to the United States. And then it was in January of 2010. We say summer of 2007 until about January of 2010, I was in the States. And okay. then I came back again in 2010. And once again, uh, frankly, just a bit of a bit of serendipity again uh just got very lucky and martin ecker was still the director of studies at that point 
And at some point, I think I had come back in September of 2009. And I said, okay, you know what? I want to go back. I want to spend a little bit more time in Germany. I, I, my time there is not quite done. Um, and I sent a message upon returning from the Oktoberfest to Martin Ecker. And I said, hey, are you guys still looking for English teachers? Do you have any need for English teachers? And he actually sent me a message back that says, no, not at the moment. We're not looking for anybody. We don't have any need to fill. Um, but you know what? At the beginning of the year, things might change as things start to pick up again. So, you know, let's touch base again there. And I don't know why, but I kind of maybe stupidly decided that, that was enough. That was enough for me to, to kind of pack my bags and come back to Germany. And uh, I'm not kidding you when I say that this, this was just serendipity again. The day that I landed back in Germany, I had a message from Martin Ecker basically saying, hey, we're looking for an English teacher again. Were you still thinking about coming back to Munich? And I said, hey, I'm here now. I just arrived. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and I just, just kind of picked right back up where I left off. Okay. And then, so that's in 2010? 2010. Mm -hmm. Okay, so today is 2021. Mm -hmm. So you've been working for the last 11 years and in lingua. Yep. Absolutely. And you started as a teacher. Now you have worked your way up to director mm -hmm. studies of the English language department. Pretty much. Um, we have to be careful with the terminology. I'll just say coordinator for the uh, English studies department. Okay, coordinator um, for the English studies department. So what? how many years did you teach until you got that title? Well, I got that title in, I'd say, 2017, but my I started slowly gaining responsibility in the office starting all the way back in 2001. Okay. Um, yeah, in 2001, we had another uh, English teacher by the name of Emily. He was responsible for arranging, like organizing and arranging all of the English language testing that we did. Mm -hmm. And... Um, she wasn't able to carry on in that uh, in that role anymore. I think, in fact, I think she ended up going to Berlin. So that 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 role was vacated, and I was asked, "Hey, is this something you would be interested in?" Mm -hmm. And I said, "Sure, yeah, absolutely." And uh, that's when I started working in the office. I basically started just by organizing and arranging like the English language tests that we had at the time. So yeah, that's where it started, and then just kind of slowly, piece by piece, started adding more. Uh, duties to that portfolio okay. until it ended up being something that I that I was able to do full time. Yeah. How important did your language skills uh, attribute to your mobility, upward mobility? Oh man, I don't want to dis any disappoint anybody by by saying this, but I don't think it played much of a role at all. Because okay. at, at in, in in lingua. Um, as you know, we, we want to do everything in the target language. So um, there's no translations in the class. And you know, that's something that I was and am a believer in. So I tried to keep German out of uh, the classroom. You know, I say almost 100%. That's but like all the administrators, like if you're in charge of like arranging the test, I'm assuming the TELF tests or the test, the in-house test that you, that you give to students for assessment or something like that. Yeah, we did. Um, most of this would have been the external test. So TELC okay. was one of the tests. Um, uh, at the time, we were doing Cambridge tests as well. Mm -hmm. um, Cambridge tests, TELC tests, and then BULATS. I don't know if you're ever familiar with that, but it was also kind of a, a Cambridge run thing, uh, but it was okay. a computer-based test. Well, I was just going to say, even um, with most of those contacts, I suppose with TELC, TELC's based in Frankfurt. So whenever I was communicating with them, either by telephone or by email, I would do that communication in German. But when we had uh, Cambridge tests, for example, or anything to do with, with Cambridge, mm -hmm. obviously they're speaking English. So uh, uh, yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have much, much need for the most part to speak in German. And that's something, okay. frankly, I don't know, maybe sadly that's carried on to this day, but most of my business is done day to day in English. So uh, okay. even back then that was the case. So that's why I'm saying uh, the German thing, obviously, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy that I can speak German, but, but as far as, the role that it's played in my career actually pretty minimal to be honest with you okay okay yeah that's interesting yeah do you still teach lessons today or no no full-time admin only um okay. i might say for example if there's an absolute emergency somebody called in sick 10 minutes before the class is supposed to start i might go in there and just kind of do emergency duty until we're able to get another teacher in there but for the most part 
my teaching days are behind me. Yeah. Okay. So what is, okay. So what are some of your major responsibilities? Major responsibilities. Well, like I said, for the, the coordinator for the English department is um, I just basically, I didn't want to put myself in a position higher than I am, but it is kind of like the director of studies for the English department. So mm -hmm. um, it's really nice, you know, that we have the in lingua proprietary material, but say, for example, if there's something external that needs to go on, basically I'm responsible for uh, gathering the pedagogical material for the teachers, whatever they're doing, and then helping them, helping support them with whatever they need. Mm -hmm. um, I still do all the English language testing. That's been pared back a little bit because uh, I don't know. We stopped using Cambridge and we stopped using uh, Telk for English. Telk is still big business in German, but for English, we don't use that uh, too much. So we switched to doing uh, the, um, the TOEIC test. Um, okay. is big, is that, that's what we do now for English language, uh, language assessment for the most part. Lingua are skill. You, okay. For the TOEIC test, for the TOEIC test, are you using the two skills or the four skills test? Um, Two skills primarily. Okay. Um, two skills primarily, but we do the four skills test if somebody if somebody requests it. Yeah. And I guess for our listeners, the two skills that we're reading and listening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Reading, listening. Okay. They do have a speaking and writing module. Gets uh -huh. booked on its own pretty infrequently, but the the four skills test, like I said, if somebody requests it, we can absolutely do that. We just made the, the switch to the twig test because it was more flexible mm -hmm. and for us, uh, frankly, a little bit uh, easier administratively. So that's that's why we decided to go that route. So let's talk about materials. Uh, sure. We, we, like the, we like the books. Um, the Lingua books are fantastic. And especially, like I said, if they're combined with somebody who's using the method effectively, they're really, really good. But every now and then somebody might need a little bit more consolidation work with the grammar or something like that. Right. Um, so, so for things like that, what, what we kind of tend to turn to is if sometimes just a straight grammar book, something like, uh, you know, the, the, I think it's uh, the Oxford books, Raymond Murphy. Yeah, like an Oxford uh, or a grammar book or a Pearson's or one of the other big publishers for English yeah, language yeah. books. Something like that. But the other thing that we tend to like to use are activities books, because again, we want to stick with the in-lingual method. We want to keep things communicative. So if we can find uh, role plays um, <clears throat> that have particular grammatic theme, uh, then that's something that we're, that we're going to turn to. That's something that we're going to want to do. And then it kind, of, it kind of depends also on, on what, what type of class we're talking about. So mm -hmm. the sure. Arbeitsamt classes, the classes for the, uh, the unemployed, those are basically business, business classes. So if we can get additional, you know, some sort of supplementary material for, for business, things like things that's going to help, things, things that are going to help somebody solidify their Telephoning skills or their, you know, business correspondence. Uh, right. Those are some of the things that we turn to as well. So that's that's I think that's where we go for supplementary. Yeah, the I think the modules, and I can be I think I think I could be honest on this podcast. I like the modules that Enlinga mm -hmm. has. The modules are great. I, I like the modules as well. Um, but how can I say this? They're very. Uh, I find them to be very vocabulary focused. This mm -hmm. is how you say this, but they're not. Um, I, I like to bring in something else or, you know, I'll tell my teachers to bring in something else to kind of give them something a little bit more like real world feel. Okay. okay this, this, you know how to say this now, let's put this into practice. You know? yeah. So, you know, when you talk about that, I'm sure, you know, like the three P's and stuff, when we talk about that production, sure, sure. Um, that's, that's, that's where we want to spend a lot of time because actually the other thing that, that we have to contend with, the other thing that we have to figure on is the fact that a lot of Germans have pretty solid English skills. There, not yeah. here. <laughs> oh really <laughs> yeah i guess uh, of course yeah i didn't i didn't really think about that I, I suppose that is regional but here here in munich a lot of germans uh they're, they're they'll tell you oh my english is so poor and then they'll they'll rattle off some some really complicated policy right. sentence um so we're not for the most part uh, particularly in, in in the business classes dealing with people who are starting from scratch so um it's not a matter of teaching them vocabulary per se but how to how to implement that, how to put, how to actually put that into practice in their like daily use the lives. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So. I think I've, I've been working here almost five years. I think we've only given two C1 TELC tests. Oh, really? I think. Most of our students are like, yeah, A1, A2. We have some strong B2s. Most, I would say most are like, you know, between, yeah, B1, B2. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I necessarily have the statistics for where they fall on that CEFR spectrum. But um, I mean, yeah, yeah B one, B two. I mean, they can they can give you reasons why. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is the most important thing. 
Yeah. All right, so you are coordinating the languages. Are you, uh, and you're, you're helping with materials. Um, mm -hmm. What else are your responsibilities? I actually, I wear um, a few different hats at Inlingua Munich now. So in addition to that, I said, oh God, my God, if you put my actual job title or job description on a business card, it'd be a paragraph because it's, you know, coordinator for English studies. I also do a uh, coordinator for our digital learning products. Mm -hmm. And uh, the final, the final thing that I do last and certainly least is the, our dot and shoots like data protection. <laughs> ah. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the data protection officer at the, uh, at the school. Have you had to enforce it yet? Like really, really enforce it other than just telling people or? Well, we, we wanted to be, uh, that's something I give our school management a lot of credit for is when that stuff started coming down the pipeline, um, mm -hmm. we, we got a jump on that. And uh, it was something that they were very diligent about uh, and something that we, that we wanted to get ahead of rather than, you know, try and play catch up with. Right. So um, in the beginning to help me because, you know, data protection is also not, I didn't go to school for data protection. I'm not right. a lawyer, um, <clears throat> but they wanted a, an internal data protection officer, but to help me get my start, we also worked with an external data protection officer uh, uh, who, who did, this is their business. This is what right. they did. So they helped to, to kind of put all of our procedures in place mm -hmm. to get um, our processes written down in a, in a, you know, in a way that was, that was appropriate to the, to the new GDPR law and stuff. So um, that, like I said, that groundwork was laid and basically I'm just doing a little bit of a maintaining action to make sure that we are keeping up with data protection, make sure that we're not violating anything and uh, just kind of helping out where I can if people have questions. Um, I'm more responsible basically, just like I said, from the pedagogical side, I'm, okay. I'm you know, looking for new content, trying to determine what content is appropriate for, you know, if somebody says, okay, this is my goal. Uh -huh. Okay, what content are we gonna use? And like I said, obviously if, if the Inlingua material fits, fantastic. But if it doesn't, then we have to do, um, we have to go look in other places because if you have somebody who says, oh, what's an example from recently? Um, <clears throat> maybe something like uh, international tourism or something like that. Mm -hmm. This company, they work in this industry they need um, content that is specific to that industry. And if Inlingua doesn't produce that material, then it's a search to try and find the appropriate material that we could bring into the classroom to actually give them, you know, the, the, the content that they want and need. Okay. So, okay. so that's, like I said, more on that end. And then also supporting teachers. You know, if the teachers say, hey, listen, I had a question about X, Y, and Z. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm their, their primary liaison for the English teachers with, you know, the admin side of, of the house. So they'll talk uh -huh. to me. Uh, we'll try and figure that out. How many English language teachers do you guys employ? Uh, do you mean fest angestellt or do you mean freelancer? A total. Total. Uh, I don't know. Um, that number has sadly uh, gone down the, the pandemic uh, because it's had its effect on our school, just as it has, I'm sure, every other school and every other business, frankly. Uh -huh. um, so that number's gone down a bit. And I'd have to rack my brains because I don't have the exact figures off the top of my head. But I would guess somewhere on the order of you know, 20 ish, okay. give or take. Uh, and <laughs> how many hours per week on average are those 20 teachers? How many hours are they working? Well, we have to, that's where we have to definitely differentiate between the, the, the contracted employees and the freelance employees. Right. Um, because, especially like I said, under pandemic conditions, we have to make sure that our contracted employees. Are, are getting the bulk of the hours. So right. right now, if I had to say it's kind of, a, if you asked our, our, our full-time teachers, mm -hmm. they're probably still not getting the hours that they would really like to have, but they're getting solid hours and our freelancers are, are not getting a great deal right now. So if anybody wants to, uh, here's this bit podcast. Bit, yeah, everybody's listening and wants to apply for a job. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Send me an email by, by all means. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Um. <laughs> So you've lived here now mm -hmm. a long time. Uh, what keeps you here? Inertia. <laughs> probably, probably, you're probably expecting a little bit more of a romantic answer. No, no, no. I love it here. Don't get me wrong. I, I absolutely do. Like, I really like living in Germany. Um, it's just kind of like a, how can I say this without, without like falling into stereotype or anything like this? It's a very well-organized society. Mm -hmm. Things are very clean. Things are done um, pretty efficiently and, until you go into some of like the 
bureaucratic offices, then that the whole myth of German efficiency kind of takes one on the on the chin. But <laughs> for the most part, for, for the most part, uh, like I said, I like I like I like living here. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's there's a pretty good mix to me um, in in the work life balance. And um, the other thing, just from a purely selfish standpoint, is I love the fact that it's right in the middle of Europe. I was always, even from the time I was very young, interested in traveling around Europe. And there mm-hmm. are probably few better places to do that from than Germany and specifically Munich. It's it's it seems to be right at the heart of Europe. So I can go an hour and a half, you know, to the west and, and be in France, or now half to the right and you know be somewhere else. Uh, and it's just a really good place, a good jumping off point for, for, for travel. Okay. So and I do, I like all of those things. Yeah. What, okay. So what has been your favorite country to visit outside of Germany? France, hands down. Okay. I love France. I actually have become a, a, a big Francophile since living in, 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 uh, in Germany or in Europe, I should say. Cause uh-huh. I mean, I know you're, you're American. You probably have, uh, France doesn't have the most sparkling reputation probably uh-huh. in the United States, you know, um, but you come, you meet French people. And uh, for the most part, in my experience with them, it's been fantastic. Okay. Kind of, kind of fun, loving people, um, beautiful language, beautiful country. And uh, the, we were talking, it's kind of funny. It's going to come around to food again. You asked me how I like the German cuisine. Mm-hmm. I like it. I think it's fantastic. It's very basic, you know, very meat and potatoes. And again, I'm not saying that as a criticism. I, I actually, that's one of the things that I find appealing about it. But on the other hand, you know, when you think about something very fancy, uh, that's French cuisine, and it's also wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe that'll break one of the negative stereotypes I have about France about rudeness. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I will say this. You know, I've heard a lot of people say that. Thankfully, I've never experienced that. I don't know what it is. I think it's because I so uh, speak just the teeny tiniest bit of French. But that's why. Enough, that's exactly yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. But enough just to kind of make myself understood. And uh-huh. I think as long as you put forth that effort and they see that, then uh, thankfully that's never been something that I've had to deal with. Do you think, I mean, is it, do you think Germans are more appreciative because you speak German? Do you, do they, you think they're more like welcoming? Are they, are they more cordial or? I think, I think for me, that's probably going to apply anywhere that you go on mm-hmm. planet earth. Does it, if you go, and at least make an effort, at least try to engage uh, the people in their own, you know, in their own tongue, and, and just show again, like I said, that you're interested in them, and that you've made the effort, I think that's going to go a really long way. Having said that, you know, uh, there's that stereotype of the French people being rude to people that don't speak French. Again, like I said, I can't speak to that from my own experience. I've never had that experience. Yeah. But I will say that if you if you take that stereotype and contrast it with the Germans, the Germans, I think, are a lot more willing to, to, to just kind of jump to English right off the bat. But again, I'll just reiterate that anywhere you go, I think if you try to engage with them in their own, in their own language and you make that effort, I think it'll pay dividends too. Yeah, I think you're right. When I was teaching, people, people always ask me now, do you miss teaching or, you know, are you happier in the administration? I say temperamentally, probably happier in the administration. I don't miss teaching a great deal. But what I do miss about teaching is the socializing. Yeah. I like, I really liked um, going into classrooms, getting to meet new people. And you actually, uh, I think you can testify to this and it goes to something that you were just saying. You make friends you know you use these people they they put their trust in you to teach them you develop a rapport throughout the course of of the lessons and whatever and then you actually become friends with some of these people so yeah Yeah. there are still some of my students even though i haven't been in a classroom well at least say full time i haven't been teaching since 2017 so even you know four years down the road now Mm -hmm. there's still students that i keep in touch with and and i kind of miss being able to go out meet new people hear about their stories and then just kind of become friends with them. And the flip side of that is also <clears throat> going to companies and kind of learning about the companies. It's mm-hmm. uh, some of our biggest uh, clients um, in the past were insurance companies. We had companies like Generali, companies like Munich Re. And uh, I didn't know very much about insurance except for, you know, like what you needed to have on your car in the US or whatever. Right. You learn about that. And then you start to learn about the reinsurance industry and you just kind of learn a little bit more about the world around you. And I think that was really 
cool thing that you're you're out in the classroom you're teaching but you're also learning things yourself and that's that is probably the one thing that i miss the most about being in the classroom is your long-term plan are you going to stay in germany um everything's you know nothing's decided um i love living in germany I've, i've got a life here um fantastic girlfriend just life is good uh as far as i'm concerned but um nothing's off the table let me say that the first thing, well, when I came back in 2010, I was also thinking at that point, I'm still, you know, relatively young. Um, I'm not tied down by family considerations. You know, I don't have a wife of my own. I don't have any children, anything like that. I'm going to go to Germany and see what, uh, see what kind of life I can build there and then probably come back after five-ish years. Well, now we're 11 years on from, from, from that point. And uh, I'm still here and don't have any immediate plans to go back. But uh, I guess the reason, the, the long-winded way of saying what I, what I wanted to say was, I kind of always envisioned going back to the U.S. And uh, that's not off the table either. But, but again, like I said, there's, there's no plans to do that. But it's just at some point, um, who knows? We'll see. Well, dude, it's Friday. I know you're, you're going to get on to whatever you're going to do. Um... I, I appreciate it, Scott. It was a pleasure talking to you. This was actually uh, quite a bit of fun for me. I, th- I thought it was pretty cool. Um, if you need anything else, just you have my contact information. Just contact. Sounds great, brother. Thank you. All right, man. Take care. Okay. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Enlingua Podcast, live from Dessau. We hope you stay tuned for more episodes.